0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Doug show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I talked to Aki Belog. He's the president and co-founder of Market Muse. We go all over the place in this conversation. I learned about Aki personally and how he got started and ended up in this technical space and running a software company and the origins of Market Muse. And when he hooked up with Jeff Coyle, the other co-founder. So very interesting. They've also taken uh, funding and there's some other things in play that I normally don't think about. I'm not in the startup world. So it's very interesting to get his take on how he's changed roles and moved from uh, like a CTO position to CEO and now president and what that means. Then we get into the nuts and bolts of actually using Market Muse and some of the most popular use cases that are out there, and the new functionality of First Draft, which is the AI powered situation where you can essentially get your first draft written by market views, which is pretty amazing. We go into the details as far as what needs to be edited and why it's actually called first draft. And you should consider that output as the first draft. But We get into all those details. Very cool stuff. And finally, we talk a little bit about marketing and some things that are uh, coming up on the horizon for Market Muse. I want to emphasize that the episode is not a big commercial for Market Muse. We spend a lot of time talking about the origins of the company and actually just me getting to know Aki a little bit better. However, I will say I am a user of Market Muse, and it's helped me out a lot. I know I've been seeing uh, some of my friends and peers out there that love the tool as well. I'm an affiliate, so if you sign up using my link, I very much appreciate it, and I get a commission. I'll probably buy a beer with it or some other kind of beverage like that. So thank you if you do check it out. And if you've never used it before, it's it's worthwhile to go uh, play around with the tool just a little bit. So thanks to Aki. And let's get over to the interview now. Hey, Aki, how's it going today? Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm pumped. And it's been pretty cool to chat with you sort of off the record a couple of times already. And for the people that don't know you, can you give a little intro on yourself and what you do over at Market Muse?
1: Sure, sure. I co-founded Market Muse uh, and I currently serve as our president. So I run our partner program, look at essentially strategic partnerships, corporate uh, agency partnerships, um, any kind of, we're looking at our affiliate program or referral program. So any kind of partner where we can basically take our data and do large scale integrations, writing network partnerships. So I oversee all that. But prior to this, uh, I served as our CEO for four and a half years. And prior to that, I was our founding CTO. So I tend to tell my friends that I've played every role in this company, except for marketing. I haven't done marketing, uh, but But maybe I get some points because we're in marketing.
0: I think it counts. And what does Market Muse do for the people that haven't heard of it before?
1: Yes. So we're an AI content intelligence and publishing platform. So we have solutions around uh, data solutions, around competitive analysis, understanding your topics and your pages and the quality and the strength of each uh, understanding your topical authority in a domain level so there's a lot of intel and and research you can do and then there are ai publishing features so we can use ai to build your content outlines given a topic how would you write effectively to cover that concept how would you optimize your existing content and we have a new product that uses AI to actually generate a draft of the content. We call first draft. So we have AI natural language generation as well.
0: Okay, breaking a lot of lot of ground, and you gave me a lot to unpack here. I do want to go back, sort of, to like the origins of Market Muse and your background a little bit too. So, did you you know come right out of school and, and you jumped onto Market Muse? What How did you get into this area of the world here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to rewind the clock, 35 years, I was born in Hungary in a smaller town called Debrecen. My my father was a scientist. Uh, my mother was a PhD teacher, PhD candidate uh, in teaching and, and Hungarian Russian literature. So we, we but, but in 1990, times were tough. We came to the US, to the Boston area. And essentially, I, I, I taught myself to code when I was 13 or depending on what I wouldn't count basic. I guess Elon Musk counts basic. So he started at nine. I started at 10 with basic, but 13 with a proper language pearl. Then uh, went to, uh, instead of high school, went to community college, uh, undergrad in business after that in Michigan. And then I went into management consulting, where we essentially worked with Fortune 500s and used their data to give them insights. So, for example, when when AIG took a big hit and had to get bailed out by the by the federal government, We helped their board of directors understand the the quality of their insurance operations in 140 countries, and we helped them figure out which markets should they invest in or divest from and why. And we use that, we did that using statistical models. We we had a team in China, I'm sorry, team in India that essentially would run the numbers, and on the US side, we'd we'd frame up the uh, analyses. So those were the types of projects we did. I I then went to a a event. Venture fund called OpenView, where I was their first associate looking at AI and big data. And the, essentially, the founder of the fund pulled me aside and said, hey, you should be an entrepreneur and like build something and get some experience. And so I, I left, went to another startup where we made data software for big data. And, and we also did content marketing to drive leads. And, uh, and we worked with TechTarget, which is how I met Jeff, my co-founder. And basically, all of that really long monologue it gets us to actual market news, which is I wanted to create an AI company that helps society in some way. And I actually started in healthcare for a couple of months. And then some of my mentors sat me down and said, hey, man, for your first one, don't do healthcare. It's way too hard. got regulation, the sales model's hard. It's just going to be insane. Do something a little bit easier and so I thought to do martech but I did not want to do advertising because it's a, it's a fine business it just I wanted something that helps society a little bit more and I didn't like that advertising is interruptive by design Whereas content is educational, it's informational, it's something that I just felt good about socially as well. So I started and and essentially want to build an AI platform. And I realized that there wasn't really an AI platform for content. All the SEO platforms were basically BI systems where they show you what you're ranking for and what keywords, but there was nothing that was predictive, that was content focused, that was focused on the workflows of a content strategist. And, and so I decided to just see how far we can take it. And, and, and that in 20, late 2013, I got started on this.
0: Wow. When you first started coding, when you said you were eight or nine, it sounded like, uh, what was that first computer? Just curious.
1: Oh, great question. Well, I, I learned to type on a Commodore 64 that we had at home, uh, but that was just playing games. And, yeah, the first computer at our school, well, let's see, we had a Mac. Uh, not, it, it, it might have been a Lisa, it might have been, a, I think, something, whatever it was back then, Mac Mac Pro, or I forget what it was, Power, I don't know, Power Mac. That's what it was, Power Mac. Uh, so I started on that, and then we had a computer at school uh, that was probably also a Mac. So I started on basic but basic Elon Musk actually sold a game he built in basic I didn't have nearly that level of skill, but later, when I got into Perl and regular expressions, that's when it really I started to really understand what computers can do and then at 15, I started this high school college thing where I learned C++ and kind of went from there
0: okay, and you you had a, a business uh, degree or certificate or something like that at the community college. Did you get some CS training as well? or
1: It was a CS two-year associate's degree at the community college. And I graduated at 18. And then I went to business undergrad at Michigan and got my BBA there.
0: Got it. Interesting. Yeah. When I hit regular expressions, it was amazing. It, it's really cool mm-hmm. if people don't know what we're talking about. Uh, you could go down the rabbit hole, but it's it's pretty fun once you figure out all the things you could do. It, it's like a I mean, it's really like a foreign language uh when you first yeah, see it, when you're it sounded like uh one of the partners when you were first an associate to pulled you aside and said, you should go do your own thing. What do you think he saw in, in you that made him give you that advice and say, hey, just you probably want to get out of here?
1: Well, I guess in a for, in a good and bad way, he saw that I wasn't a fit <laughs> with with their investment team, uh, which turned out okay, I guess. Uh, but I actually moved from New York to Boston for this job. Uh, so essentially, I left out a step because I didn't want to be too boring. But when I left management consulting, I went to work for a search fund, which is basically a small private equity fund where, uh, where you look to make one acquisition. And so you search and search for years to find the right acquisition. So I was working with two Stanford GSB graduated private equity operator people. And I got excited. I, I wanted to learn about finance and m a that way. And so when I got the job, I was actually looking for jobs in New York, but my parents moved to Boston. So I started looking at Boston, found the job at OpenView. Within 30 minutes, I was invited in for an interview, had two interviews, and boom, I got the job. But I didn't actually meet Scott Maxwell, who is the founder there. I, I, we just kind of rushed the interview process. So I didn't meet him and, and some of his partners. And so when I actually arrived in Boston, I got set up with my apartment, you know, all the things you have to do, got into work. And my first conversation with Scott, first time I met him, we talked about product and how understanding your product is the most important. You know, it's really important in tech. It's arguably the most important skill, uh, understanding uh, on, a, on a very detailed level. And Scott had done a um, years ago, had done a, a Ph.D. at MIT in robotics. And so he felt we had that common ground. And so we had that first conversation and he came back to me a week later and said, Hey, Aki, you know, I really appreciate knowing you. I don't think you should be here. I don't think you should be in an investing role. You're like a product person. You should be in building a company, either yours or somebody else's. And you're welcome here for a while, but you really shouldn't be here because I want you to be happy and successful. And I'm like, Okay. And and then a week later, my managing director Adam pulled me aside, and he's like, "Hey, you know, maybe you should be at a startup. There's a re- it's a really good time to raise seed funding. You could build something." I'm like, "Wow, what is with you guys? Like, I literally just got here, <laughs> settled in." So I was ended up being there for nine months. Uh, I sourced the deal for them, Spreadfast, which they put 18 million in uh, for Series. I don't know, B or C. Uh, So that turned out fine. Uh, So I I feel like I paid my obligations there, paid my dues. But eventually, I found this other company, Infinity B, and and their CEO invited me to join, and I joined them, and that's how I, I guess, became a tech operator.
0: Got it. Okay. And then you met up with with Jeff because you were working on some common stuff, and this is Jeff Coyle, your co-founder, who, interesting fact, he and I both went to Georgia Tech around the same time, and it's highly likely we walked past each other because we both had CS classes and kind of that area of the, the campus and all that. So very small world. So you met up with Jeff and you realized that you were doing a little similar work or you had similar interests. So take us from there.
1: Yeah, so I actually started working on this on Mercury is late 2018, but uh, 2018 2013, but I met Jeff in 2014 and we he became my co-founder and joined end of 2015. So it actually took 2 years for that to play out, but the company that I was at before Mercury is InfinityB. So when I left OpenView, I went to a big data company called InfinityB and we did content syndication and our most successful channel was TechTarget. So I didn't know much about that business, but I knew that whatever TechTarget's doing, it, it works pretty well for lead gen. And two years later, three years later, when I met Jeff, I, I he was the VP of search at TechTarget. He found me, found the site and said, wow, this is really interesting. Tell me more. And meanwhile, I nearly fell out of my chair because I'm like, my gosh, the had a search at Tech Target. He really gets this stuff. Uh, and I, and I know their solution works. So, so Jeff actually joined end of October 2015 or beginning of October 2015. And, and that's when we basically started building out Market Muse, uh, as we know it today. Uh, I essentially in the, it, for, between, September 2013 and October 2015, I was just building the API that building our technology uh, and and just finding early customers. And so when by the time Jeff joined, we had maybe, I don't know, 10 customers and then he took it to 20. And then now we've now we have thousands.
0: Wow. When you were working on it on your own, was it just on the side and you still had your day day job, full time gig? I left my
1: job. Basically, Infinity B. I I was on the business side for two years there, and I really just wanted to get back into coding. So I just I left my job. Uh, technically, I got fired, which is which is fine. It wasn't my fault. It's just the company was declining, and and we had a lot of issues due to some historical stuff nobody really cares about but but the company was declining a couple people a couple people and I tried to save the ship but it, it was just a too far too gone uh, and so they fired people so that we can also qualify for unemployment so I w- essentially had had transitioned uh, had settled into kind of figuring out my next thing and I had unemployment buying me some time so I basically just sat down and relearn coding. I mean, at at that time, I had been away from coding for eight years, so I had to learn Python, which is kind of table stakes for this type of stuff. Uh, Scala, Go concurrency, you know, asynchronous network stuff, uh, data movement, whatever. ORMs. Um, uh, I mean, I'm just throwing you know stuff out there. Front end coding. I've never done front end. Front end. So I had to learn MVC framework. It was just Angular. Ruby. I mean, it was just it was just one thing after the other. Uh, so that took two years to learn all that stuff and to implement the system and to find early customers and to essentially create this category that took two years. And so when Jeff joined, it was already kind of an exist and also to create some buzz around it. PR. You know, et cetera. So, so we do some data journalism to prove that it actually works. So by the time Jeff joined, it was kind of an ongoing concern. It was very, very, very small, but it was, it was a, an established thing.
0: And you had some customers, so you knew people were interested in it and they, they wanted the product. What did Jeff bring to the table that you didn't have or I'll leave it at that. Yeah. What did Jeff bring to the table? Because he has a tech background, too. So, he didn't necessarily need two coders, one would think. But I don't know.
1: Yeah. Jeff brought a lot. I mean, we would not be anywhere where we are today. We probably wouldn't even exist without Jeff joining at that time. So, I think my lucky stars to this day that we met. And, and I, I think he feels the same about me, but, um, he was the sales and the industry expert and the, the practitioner. He had done these workflows and these processes manually in his team. He had built a 30 something person, 35 person team at Tech Target to optimize content and, and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And so he knew the manual way of doing it. But he saw that he recognized that the data feed and the system that I had designed were, was able to automate almost all of it and, and we could, that we could build a SaaS platform that had never been done before anywhere. Uh, that that he had always wanted to have you know over the years of just understanding the pain points so his his understanding of the pain points his network with the SEO community uh, has been great uh, he does a lot of webinars and and there's a lot of education uh, he, talking to jeff is just like is just like getting insights from the oracle directly so it it's just uh, all of that plus he's he's a really good enterprise salesperson so he uh He really helped us increase our deal size. And he's a great remote manager. So he's been remote for many years, I think over 10 years at this point, like like me. But he had a lot of experience building and managing a team remotely. At that time, I didn't at all, uh, really. So so he helped me navigate a lot of the leadership challenges, culture, just all the things you have to do. Uh, and then I, on my end, I, I kept writing code and being the CTO. Jeff was the chief product officer at the time. I was our CTO, so I was running the engineering team. And uh, and doing a lot of strategic stuff, fundraising, uh, product strategy. Although Jeff was really the lead strategist, but kind of you know how can we take this data and just make use of it in the broader world? That's that kind of product market. I would say product market fit. Seeking product market fit was my my main goal, and and
0: still is today. Were there any assumptions that you guys made early on about? what the product would do or what the customers would want the product to do that were just kind of off.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we made, so many assumptions that turned out to be off, but we also made a lot that turned out to be okay. So, um, right at the get-go, I wasn't sure if it'll be an SEO use content use case or a PPC AdWords use case. So I tried to build. I experimented in both, uh, and we tried to build a. I tried. This is actually before Jeff. I tried to build a PPC keyword finder based on semantically relevant kind of broad match phrase match type keyword. That didn't really go anywhere, which is fine. So that was a misstep. Uh, when we first what over the years, the we had a couple of learnings around how, the packaging, how people like to or can consume the data. Because the reality is this type of data can serve millions of individual users and in very small businesses, but it also is incredibly powerful in the hands of very large companies. So we've kind of danced on both sides of that line, and we had customers that way. But then we realized or we ran into a lot of usability challenges. A lot of the larger customers weren't able to just kind of get the big picture. They had to still do a lot of things manually. So Jeff and Noah, who's our CTO, really spearheaded building a platform where you can do full your end-to-end content planning and research—that was called the Marketing Suite. That was launched August 2018, so three years after Jeff joined. So in that, in those three years, we essentially used the data from the self-serve uh, tools and applications to basically build these these large content strategies by hand. I think in 2016, end of 2016, we built the world's first. AI content plan, and it basically was just a purely AI-generated uh, set of scores and suggestions, and where you're strong, where you're weak for a site, and and so that was our biggest milestone. So that was late 2016, and then it took two years for us to put that into a platform where anybody can buy it, uh, and then we switched that. That kind of swung us over to the larger deal size enterprise format. And then last year, we swung the pendulum back and now we basically can sell both, but we certainly have a lot of self-serve and easily accessible options. So the, just dancing on both sides of that was was
0: a really big learning of the last five, seven years. Got it. For this, you know, the swing back where essentially the, the price is lower, right? That's what you mean. The price is lower and, and people can sign up the Maybe they don't have a team of 20 writers, and it's just smaller companies, right?
1: Price is one aspect that obviously people notice, but it's really the packaging format. Uh, Think of like um, before, in the beginning, we sold very small cars. Then we switched to trucks. But not everybody needs or can afford a truck, or the truck won't even fit in your driveway, the long, you know, semi-trucks, 24 foot U-Hauls, whatever those things are. And now we have a bunch of different cars at various levels, including long haul, you know, shipping and 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 short, you know, short things. So so it's really it's it's a set of configurations that a lot of people a large volume of people can buy the simple configurations, and then a small number of very high-value companies can buy the full-on suite with everything that we do.
0: Was it challenging early on because Market Musial was basically the first tool that was doing the things that it can do. So was it hard to convince the early customers what you were trying to do or did they see the value right away?
1: It was incredibly challenging because what we were doing was when I sat down with, it, and I worked with a scientist, Richard Mala, uh, who's, he and I own our patent, uh, our core patent. But when we sat down, we wanted to model content in the scientifically the best way possible and use some novel approaches and novel algorithms to do that which which we accomplished but then i would go to marketers And say, Hey, I can model your topics. And they're like, well, what's the topic? I have keywords. I track my keywords, but what's the topic? And I'm like, well, it's like this. Well, but doesn't that look like a keyword? Well, it's, it's a little different because it's a little bit higher level. And, and it was just, and they're like, is that a theme? And I'm like, what's a theme? And so there's a lot of confusion because back in 2014, nobody was doing this. I mean, nobody was doing this other than there was like one post on it. I think the first time I found a post on topical topic, wasn't even called topical authority It was just like, Hey, guys, like, I look at content this way. It was I mean, it was I can count on one, one hand, the number of people thinking about this. So I actually got pretty lucky. I mean, this is not We didn't sign. I'm not under NDA, so I think I can talk about this is back in end of 2014. I had been working on this thing for a year and I met Rand Fishkin, who at the time was at Moz. And actually, I actually reached out to Rand and said, hey, Rand, I have this content scoring topic modeling thing. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that's really cool. Let's partner and so we tried to work out a partnership with Moz, which eventually fell apart, and Moz just changed a lot of the strategy and ran left and et cetera. But at the time, there was a lot of desire to kind of make this work and plug it into Moz Analytics. And as a side effect of that, Rand started talking about it. And that was great because that started edge because Rand already saw the vision that this is the way to do SEO from an on page perspective. You want to look at your topic clusters, but nobody else really understood that early on. Brian Dean did. Uh So we did a, a, a post uh, a long time ago and da- kind of a data journalism thing. So he got it. Eric Van Buskirk, who was at SEMrush, but now he runs the, an agency out of Vietnam, Vietnam. So he got it. But it was like, you know, and, and Jeff Coyle got it. But it was just a couple of people. So just explaining what it is and why it matters without having the full technology platform back in, you know, seven years ago. Th- that was hard. Uh That was really hard.
0: Yeah. Uh, And you hear about being, you know, first to the market. Obviously you have a big advantage, but you also are responsible for the education. So people know they need the thing that you have. And for, I'm, I'm part of the problem with a keyword, um, (laughs) favoring keywords over topics or topic, uh, clusters and that sort of thing. So can, how do you differentiate the two? So what's the difference between a keyword and, a topic.
1: It, it's pretty simple. We actually call keywords variants in our system to help differentiate. But essentially, a keyword is. I most people think of it as it's a search query. It's something you type into Google, and there's an intent behind it. The intent's actually really important because you can put a word, you can put the word bat in and it has multiple intents. Not only is it baseball bat or an animal, but it's, you know, where do I find one? Where do I buy one? Is there a bat in the zoo nearby? There's so many intents. So you're actually trying to get to the intent behind it. But basically a keyword or variant is just a specific instance of a search query. And the topic is the the, the concept behind it that you're trying to understand and intent is essentially what you're trying to do with it. And so we track all of them separately now.
0: And they work well together. It's great to have an understanding of, of both of them, I suspect, and you're nodding. So do, do you agree yes. anything to add to it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can... For example, our business is about content strategy. We're about a number of topics, but content strategy is one of the core. Things were about how to build it, how to understand it, how to use automation, etc. How to scale it up, Uh, and then the different keywords. There are thousands of keywords that tie into those, and there are a couple of intents. Do you want to research? It's basically the funnel. Do you want to know something? You want to learn about it? Are you considering? different ways of doing content strategy or different solutions or different, should I do a spreadsheet or do it in screaming frog or should do a marketing news. So there's the, the, the different levels of it. So it's basically a number of topics your business is about applied through a number of intent filters and, and instantiated in thousands or hundreds of thousands of keywords for those on those topics. So it's a way to group things.
0: Got it. And we'll spend a little bit more time just on sort of the origin and then we'll move into actually what the heck do you do with Market Muse and some of the use cases. So before we move on, though, I know that Market Muse took on some funding and has some investors. So why make that decision versus, you know, just bootstrapping it and maybe keeping it simpler? Uh, yeah. Why did you make that decision?
1: Absolutely. When I started Market Muse, I actually bootstrapped for two years. I basically didn't take pay. I'd mentioned my unemployment that I was working uh, through uh, also used up my savings, but I just I didn't take money because I didn't want to. Uh, I wanted to have control to the the maximal extent possible because at that time I recognized that we have a, a tremendous opportunity it's a huge market we have a novel product that's just going to get better and better over time as we build the AI out and I I I 10 years ahead. And I recognize that there will be a day when my influence will be necessary to solve some sort of blocker, some sort of investor who's pushing back, maybe, maybe take advantage of an opportunity. And so I wanted just to own most of it at that time, Because I didn't know how the next years were going to work out. And I just wanted to be able to, at the end of the day, just make a call on, you know, if we need to give someone more shares. We, I can do it if we need to right or wrong. I basically wanted to have the ability to write or wrong. So, for, and, and I knew that in the very early days, if you raise a seed round or pre-seed, any money you raise is just going to uh, really dilute that control. So at, at the time, in the first two years, I, I wanted to be an autocrat. When Jeff joined, and then as we built out the company, I moved away from that because I wanted to have the best people in the world who are on, in, on these topics. So we want to find the best people in the world, bring them all into one place and then give them skin in the game so that they all feel very, very much. Uh, it's well, one, they, they are more motivated because they know that the work that they do today in, x number of years is going to be huge and both financially and and from just that feeling of ownership is you're going to have a part of it uh but but secondly um i just recognize that i'm going to have i'll have limitations so there are a lot of things that i'm not good at i mean really only good at maybe one or two things and by bringing in the best people and just connecting them and getting them motivated it's just a cool journey it's just something that we can all be proud of and, and I wasn't sure who's going to be involved but and how it will evolve, but I wanted to make it an, an organization and not just something that springs from my brain and You know, also not to mention if I get hit by a truck or something were to happen to me, you know, I didn't want it to to end. But but in the early days, I recognized that our market size is huge. So I did an analysis. I found that there are five million people in the U.S. who create content for business writing. That was my number. And that's big enough. So I wanted to essentially just. uh just t- take a 10 15 year view and just you know map that journey and and so 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 in the early days we did not take funding we took a little bit of angel funding because it turns out we needed to hire more and more engineers and more and more sales and we needed some money to do all that but but so in the first two years i took nothing just 10 20000 from my brother and and one and one angel investor I think twenty five k is very small, and then in the next two years we took about a million, uh, and this is all on Crunch base. But we took about a million just to fund more development, and then in the last two three years we've taken another ten. We've taken over ten million now uh,
0: through just in the last three years. Wow, pretty amazing, and I, I guess. I wonder, was it hard to give up some of the control that you had or just the way that you explained it? It sounds like you understood the trade-offs, but I know letting go of control seems like a big, big thing
1: not to me not not luckily it's always been it's always come second nature some people i know have a, a struggle with it especially when they're larger and larger amounts of money it's kind of like you know you feel that you, you always wonder could i have done better etc but but i actually i feel really good about all the deals we've struck i mean we've raised money now in in terms of venture rounds we've had five some of them small, but we've had five different rounds. And then before then, I think I brought on maybe 15 angels. So there were 15 individual negotiations. So we've gone through dozens and dozens of negotiations. And it really, I just recognize when somebody is better at something than I am. And I think that's the, it's the end, at the end of the day, what can you do? I'd love to be the single best person at everything. But I know that I'm, Basically, not the best person at almost everything. <laughs> I, I'm a terrible. I don't stand. I, I, my skills are, are much worse than our engineers in terms of engineering. I don't stand. A, a, you know, a, a, don't hold a candle to any of our engineers' performance in their craft. I'm not great at sales. I'm not great at marketing. I'm not certainly not good at so many other things. I'm definitely not a great manager. I'd love to be a better one. It's not a, it's not that I feel bad about it. It's just, I'm, I'm just realistic. And so when you recognize raw talent or, or not even raw, when you recognize talent, uh, it's just easy to, get motivated and want that person to work with you and you want them to be rewarded because my my number one guiding principle was when i look back in the future 10 15 years in the future i did not want to regret anything i didn't want to feel like i screwed somebody over or i i i just i wanted it to feel like a positive development and growth experience and and so far so good we have not To my knowledge, we have not screwed anyone over. And if we have, uh, please email me because we want to right all our wrongs in the, you know, when accidents happen, I guess. Uh, but, uh, but, but we've done all of that. So that, that, and that really gets to, and I'll stop uh, talking about this, uh, in such detail, but two, three months ago, I gave up the CEO title because uh, Chuck Frydenborg, who was at the time our chief revenue officer, I just saw that he was going to be uh, a fantastic CEO. The areas where he's strong leadership, general management, uh, a sales focused uh, culture we, we need to hit, re- we build great products, now we need to build out the revenue and the go to market channel, which is hard. All of those were strengths of his, and so when the idea came that he could be the CEO for me, it was like an immediate yes, if you want the job, you got it, and I will gladly work for you and and it, and that was just three months ago, but it's just been it's just worked out really well, uh, even over that amount of time. Chekho has really worked wonders here
0: and, yeah what's the big difference I was going to ask you between your role now as president versus what it was as CEO?
1: A lot. Uh, so I still am involved in strategic thinking. And I have uh, actually have a sales quota, which has been fun to just get in and uh, where the rubber meets the road and actually move product. Uh, It's been a great, really a good opportunity. And then I I focus on partnerships and sort of the bigger picture around partnerships. It just takes a lot of time to think through those things and to set up those relationships. and, And they're very slow. So I've been very fortunate to focus on that but Chuck does typical C- CEO things. I used to do. He runs all the the departments, the teams. He he focuses on culture and on on vision and on HR stuff and people and talent stuff and empowering leaders and managers and coaching and training and 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 managing the board so he has a lot of investors who are really really smart but they need to be managed and then there are legal and tax and financial issues and hitting our cap And performance management. So he's excellent at those general management uh, pieces. And that freed. And, and by the way, meanwhile, Jeff moved to Chief Strategy Officer. So I'm focused on our partner program. Jeff focuses on our strategy as a company, and Chuck runs the company. And and it's been just uh, along with our co-owners, uh, our investors, and our board, and our employees. And and that has been just a winning, uh, just just an amazing combination, actually.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, ODYS. ODYS is where you can get age domains and you have the ability to get these fine brandable domains. You can search by industry, language, filter by price, the top-level domain, like that's the TLD, so .com, .net, .org, you get the point. And monthly traffic, some of these sites actually get traffic and character length. So pretty powerful and, well, more importantly, they're useful. These are useful filters. And what I like to do is have a look at some of the domains. Now, if you're a longtime listener of The Doug Show, you know some of the recent, some of the very recent domains that I took a look at were, uh, they were in the adult section, but we have a classy guest with Market Muse today and we're going to we're going to keep it cleaner. We're going to keep it cleaner for today and they have some domains related to crypto and crypto is hot no matter if you're listening to this when it's published or if you're catching it in the future, I bet crypto is still a thing and I bet people are still interested in it. So they have some domains out here. We have bitcoinair.org, we have miningspeed.com and let us I'll find another one, The thecryptopunks.com. So all, all over the board, and there's actually 24 domains in the crypto space if it's a thing that you're interested in. And I, I'm just going to hop in and look at Bitcoin Air. The cool thing is over here on ODYS and the marketplace, you can look to see some of the history of the domain. You have a more... Up not necessarily options, but you have some thoughts about what you can do with these sort of domains, the specific domain. So for this one, they have monetization angles, and they say you could do an affiliate site, you can do informational and lead generation. So they have some notes about that as well. They have the age of the site, they mention the specific links right? So you can see the links. They have the traffic noted. This particular domain doesn't have any traffic, but some of them do. Uh, Some other market insights, a GoDaddy appraisal and SEO metrics like the age, the majestic, Hrefs and Moz values, and of course the referring domains. And this particular one has over 169 referring domains and it's indexed in Google. So they kind of do some of the heavy lifting and filtering for you right off the bat. And I thank ODYS for sponsoring this show. They're doing a pretty awesome job and they have a whole new dashboard over there. So thanks again. And if you're interested in getting a brandable age domain, sometimes they actually get traffic. Definitely check out ODYS. Link in the description. I want to go back and highlight something you said a minute ago about just having the best people, really talented folks. And a lot of people feel threatened to actually hire people that are better than them or smarter, or more effective in certain areas. So comp- compliments to you for seeing that it's maybe a better way to hire people that are better than you fill those gaps and they'll do a better job than you at certain things. And then, of course, you could focus on what you're best at. So that's great.
1: Yeah, it it feels good to know something. My father always says it's, it feels good to know something. It's painful or hard to learn something. And so when well, I just never wanted to get into a position where I assume that what I know is the best way to do it, it's tempting. So there's this dynamic in entrepreneurship, Rich versus King. There's a, there's a book that covers it by Noam Wasserman. But essentially, do you want to be the king, the ruler, the absolute power? Businesses are essentially dictatorships. And do you want to be the, the key dictator and the person that everybody looks up to? Or do you want to be really, really successful as a business? And the only way to do the latter i would argue is to is to take on investors and so on eventually you don't have to do it at any given point but the more brains you put around a problem if the brains are brilliant you will have a much better solution um and, and so so that's that dynamic that requires you to reduce your ego as much as possible and i'd like to keep just getting better at that because i there are times i mean yesterday i'm I made a mistake with a communication internally. I put too much ego into it. Your ego, my ego, nothing matters. The only thing that matters, did this thing work for the customer? Is it working? Is it delivering value? That's the only, does it work? And how well does it work? And the better it works, you know, that's the only thing. And people who are ego driven, And we all have egos. I have a huge ego, of course. Uh, everyone does uh, in entrepreneurship, but, but people who are motivated by ego, they run out of, there's a, just borrowing from complexity theory, they run out of maximum complexity. So the, if you have a decision maker at the top and the military discovered this because they had these strict hierarchies and they've changed that to more team of teams and more collaborative structures. If you have a strict hierarchy, the pers- the single decision maker at the top, the entire system is limited to the maximum complexity of that person. And 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 that's not going to scale out well because the world, you know, you're we're, we're in very complex places. So if you actually if you actually give up that king or queen title and and just let the complexity of the system. You know, guide things, and you set values and guiding principles, and you would make sure that people are are following the rules and adhering to those. But the system can actually form and become more complex than you could have ever imagined, which is what happened with Market Muse. I never imagined seven years ago that we'd have all this stuff that we have now, and what we have is quite complicated. There are different packaging formats, and customers, and use cases, and so. But I, I could I could not come up with this stuff myself it it would have been a much more limited version and that's what jeff brought in in a big way and then all the other people we've added over the years have really increased the maximum complexity of what we do which is great uh because we're the more the i use the word complexity as kind of a bad thing but it's really
0: sophistication got it and before we move on to using market muse and maybe some of the the workflows a person might go through is, is there anything else interesting that I didn't ask you about related to starting the company and, and growing it to where you you guys are today
1: I think the biggest milestone for me another thing that made a big big difference is when I moved from Boston to New York uh, and I I like Boston. I, there are a lot of smart people there. There are great investors there. But for, in our space, in marketing tech, when I moved from... We tried to raise some money in Boston. Sometimes we were able to. Sometimes we, we didn't hit our goal. Uh, we had some frustrations. But when I moved from Boston to New York, just the world opened up for me. Because this system, speaking of complexity and networks, the networks in MarTech, SaaS... In New York are much more sophisticated than Boston. Boston doesn't really focus on tech, uh as much. I, I, I can only think of a couple. HubSpot obviously is a, is, is one, but I can't think of so many. Uh, SEM Rush actually moved their headquarters there, but they're really a Russian company. Um, I was just reading their S one. They're like you know seven hundred employees in Russia out of nine hundred, so they're really and all the there's a lot of cultural stuff there. But, but New York, you have the ad tech world, you've got the double click and kind of Dynasty and the people who came out of that. You, you just have so much. And so when I came here, I really felt that I just. C- Connected to this bigger world. And, and I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the reasons that I wanted to raise funding not, was not just to get money to fuel kind of what we know we need to do, but also to get different perspectives and different strategies and to de-risk. And so moving to New York, I met a bunch of investors who had built companies in ad tech and martech spaces, and they understood the value in a different way and a more nuanced way than my limited understanding. And they shared that as co-owners once they invested. So it's it's really helped us just get out into the world.
0: Got it. Okay. Moving into actually using Market Muse and my audience is mostly uh, content site owners. So a lot of times it's affiliate marketing along with uh, display ads and maybe a portfolio of sites. And there's a lot of folks with just one site or they're getting started. So can you take us through kind of the workflow of, you know, an audience member that has an affiliate site and you you could pick an example, you could pick a niche, something that you're interested in. So you can come up with some good examples and maybe walk us through some of the different pieces that they would use in market muse.
1: Yes. So our, our entry level, functionality that anyone can use for free is if you go to marketmuse.com, you you sign up, you get 10 queries. Right now it's seven, but it's about to be 10 queries in our our page level applications. uh, The most common use case is optimized. So given an article and a topic you want to optimize around, uh, you put that in, you click the button and you get an outline showing you how would you write to have the most comprehensive article on that topic. how would an expert writing about that topic naturally write? And then we basically score your content and say, you know, your content hits on some of those things, but there are there are other pieces that are either not mentioned at all or are not mentioned enough. And by the way, here's the competitive landscape on the top 20 in Google, and here's how you compare to that. So the, the entry-level use case is an article by, I'm sorry, topic by topic uh, comparison. It's a page-level comparison and I I don't say article by article because you can actually take an article and optimize against multiple topics. So it's it's a single topic or a single intent uh, that you use to to uh, improve that article, uh, and then it scales out from there in terms of domain level. So analyzing your domain and all the topics and pages and everything that you're about, and showing you where you have opportunity on a domain level. And then the AI publishing stuff where you're actually, okay, how do I write all this content I, I now want to write? So, so those are the three main use cases. But uh, for an affiliate site owner, it, it can be anything from researching a space, researching because in this competitive. So one of the things that gets me real excited in this competitive analysis, when you look at the Google top 20 and we score everything, we generate an average competitive content score and a target. And so you can use that to find niches that are underrepresented from a topical authority standpoint that you could grow into and actually dominate or, you know, build great content in. So essentially it helps. Instead of just doing keyword research based on a from a from a volume perspective, you can really do competitive research and find opportunities from a content quality perspective, which for content site owners, obviously, is is very impactful.
0: And I'm going to try and restate it to make sure I understand. And then maybe you could pepper in a couple other details. So if I put in a topic the top 20 results in google would be analyzed in in some fashion there's some data behind market muse that supports that i take it and then you would get information about what you would need to include in your article or what you would need to add to your article so that everything's covered is that kind of what's happening
1: yes basically market muse is analyzing the deep web Tens of thousands of pages on the topic that you've selected. So basically, what's on the internet on this in general, and what is of the things on the internet? What has been covered in the Google Top Twenty, and what has been covered in your article, and what has not? So the the reason I measure mention this this competitive space is you can actually look at different niches and figure out which niche you want to play in. Based on the topical level of competition, so if something's really well executed, maybe you you know you don't focus on that. But but there are all these niches that you could actually focus your content creation on that are going to give you more benefit faster.
0: Perfect. So there there might be a a niche or set of topics that there's content about on the internet, but. The level of expertise is fairly low, so yes. that indicates a, sort of a void that you could fill.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I've done I've done just a little. We haven't published on this, but I've just done a little digging uh, the other day, and I found that on average, the quality of content on Google top ten, top twenty, could be about thirty percent better based compared to what we've suggested as the target based on what we what. Our analysis of the broader web has found that about a third of the information available on a topic that should be on those top results is not in there. So the quality of the top pages on Google is not good enough. And if you write a great article there, you're going to do really, really well in, and generate a lot of inbound, you know, relevant inbound traffic.
0: If someone wants to do this, how would they be able to tell that there's a void in a particular niche? How does that manifest itself in the metrics within Market Muse? Yes.
1: Yeah, so you go to our compete application, you put in the topic you're researching, and you look at, and it spits out the top 20 and scores them, and it spits out the average and the target. And if that those numbers are low... So if you're, if the, let's say out of a hundred, because we measure out of a hundred points, if the average is below 30 and the target is, you know, 35, 40, that means that there are a lot of things that have not been covered in that CERC. And that's a, that's a clear opportunity. And when you research something, um, credit cards or something that, you know, is, is, is covered pretty well. those numbers tend to be in the 60s and 70s. So if if I, I haven't done this, but if I were to look at a personal loan, you know, get a payday loan, something like that, it would probably, somebody's probably written a really comprehensive article, maybe on deck or somebody who lends in those spaces would have covered it. But a lot of most most searchers don't have that level of coverage and and so 60 70 is high at the moment over time it'll get higher and higher but right now 60 70 is high and 30 35
0: under 40 is is fairly low got it so in the compete app a person can check to see what the target is for that topic and then what the average is for the top 20 yes Got yes. It. I'm going to be able to sell your product for you. Now you can put me on the sales team. I, I'm starting to understand. Okay.
1: Well, join our affiliate program. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that And that is, that is a topic that is coming up. So um, back to some of the, the apps. I know, the classic example that I think about in the first area that I played in Market Muse when I logged on was an Optimize. So in, in mm-hmm. a lot of cases, someone has a website, there's quite a bit of content, maybe we didn't optimize it properly the first time or we just want to take a look. How does a person use Optimize and do you have any, I didn't tell you to prep for this, but do you have any case study results or any kind of uh, metric that we can understand what kind of change someone can see by going through and using Optimize for a piece of content?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in general, I tell folks that our customers see a 2 to eight, 6, 2 to 8x lift in traffic within the first year by if they optimize their content through market views. There's actually two levels of of doing that. You can use the optimized application or you can use the scaled up version content briefs. We have optimized briefs that give you a much more detailed answer. But essentially you pick a page and a topic, and you build a knowledge graph in marketing News. we go to the web, we download a bunch of content, we build this outline and you use that outline to, to inform, uh, the, the edits you and the additions you want to make to that article, uh, based on, It just basically shows your blind spots and then you fill your blind spots and that will, that's then optimized content. And so that's, that's our most popular use case is people just go through all their articles and optimize on all their topics and, and it kind of gives you that competitive level. So you know, right now this article is 25 points content score, but you want to get a content score of 45 to do a good job. And so it helps, it guides you, uh, you know, how to do that.
0: Perfect. And you said two to eight times uh, over the course of a year, a person might see a lot more traffic.
1: That's a if if the system is used well and just optimizing for individual keywords all day, that that may or may not get you there. You've got to be strategic on what you're doing. <laughs> so it's, it's not a panacea. But if you actually go through and you map out your content and, and you map to the intents and you think strategically about the topics and you look for areas where you can win and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. You stand to gain on average two to eight. Some customers see 15x. We had one customer. We published a case study on tomorrow's sleep. They got 100x gain in a year. Uh, which is huge they went from four thousand it's a small base but not a tiny base four thousand inbounds a month turned to four hundred thousand inbounds a month through through this an agency helped them with that as well but but all, all of those are possible and if you're a large company or if you are dominant in a SERP it really can help you firm up your dominance and and leverage the power that you have if you're a small company or a niche player like we are then for example we're dominant in the term content strategy we built the content strategy on content strategy obviously so we we've been working on it for a while but you can really own your niche which if you're a smaller company you know that could be that could be you could get enough leads to just power a sales team and just grow organically that way so it it really is just a smarter way to research and build out your go to market channel with an inbound you know from an inbound perspective
0: what piece in functionality and market muse do you really like that you think is either underappreciated or underused and would be really powerful for the users
1: I think well compete uh, compete is really powerful because people are familiar with optimize and they're pretty familiar with compete, but just the research capability and compete is something that i think about a lot even today and then we have the the our inventory system so essentially we analyze domains and we look at all the pages and topics and all the competitive landscapes and everything and and we bubble it up and we give you a prediction on what where are you able to make the biggest impact where are you most likely to make an impact. So it's essentially a decision support system for your content. And that is not available just out of the gate. We need to configure it. So you need to talk to somebody basically to have them set it up. But it's something that we've been, uh, I've just been reaching out to people who are interested in just building their domain in the platform and showing them. Uh, but it's really powerful because now you can actually. You, you can have, a, a, I mean, I'll give you an example. Companies all the time, even a mid-sized company, will spend tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on their content. Well, how do we build the strategy? How do you determine what you're going to spend your time on? This makes it much more efficient and, and really speeds you up, but also just gives you better ideas. And so if you use inventory, you're basically building your content strategy in an optimized manner, which ultimately means tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, less wasted. So, you know, less waste, more performance. So just getting the strategy right is it makes all the difference
0: actually. And inventory can help the publisher plan exactly what they should be targeting in the future for prioritization. Is that kind of what it gets down to? Yes. Okay, yes. Perfect. And that has to be set up manually. So someone would, uh, a user of Market Muse would need to contact support and, and get that set up.
1: Well, one. I, well, I, I guess I, I shouldn't have said that. So, if the domain is under five hundred pages, you can just go and set that up in the system without talking to anyone. If it's a lot bigger than five hundred pages, we only will analyze the first five hundred pages. So you can still see something, but if you have, uh, but if you have thousands of topics and keywords and pages and stuff, it, it, at some point you do need to talk to a human, uh, and we're actually. Think over through the course of this year, we're going to be altering that and just removing limits and making it easier. But basically, if your if your site is ranking for more than five thousand topics or keywords, uh, you should you should uh, talk to somebody because we can actually configure it in a more effective manner. Uh, but if it's small, if it's below that, you don't have to talk to us. You can just run run those pages and and see what the results are.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And we can move into First Draft, which is a, a new, newer addition to the suite. So, can you tell us about First Draft a little here?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, First Draft is one of, it's really cool. It's basically the ability to build content. The original technology that we built was a topic modeling technology. We generate these knowledge graphs by taking a bunch of articles and distilling it down to an outline. The, fir- the, the first draft technology takes that outline and actually generates written text against that outline. And and, and in our case, we use a brief. So we use a, 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 first we build a content brief and then we generate against the brief to build you a 2,000, 2,000, 3,000 word article. Generated by a human that answers all of the questions and covers all the topics in the draft. There's still a draft because it, it it's pretty cool, but it, you still need to edit it and still need to add uh, just uh not just fixed errors. There's always some modeling error, of course, but but really to give it kind of a point of view, to give it strategy, to to customize it. But it it really builds the building blocks of the article, and you can actually. When I say building blocks, they're actually blocks of text, you know, two, three par- uh, sentence paragraphs you can actually drag and drop in the interface. So you put in a topic and now you have these blocks of text that you can use to assemble an article, then edit it and and, and publish. So it, it takes a lot of that initial writing out and it makes you spend more of your time on editorial and strategy versus just writing words that, you know, covering something.
0: And, and this... Kind of functionality has gotten popular with I have to make sure I say this right gpt three I always mm-hmm. want to see those out of order, and for the people that don't know, can you explain what Gpt three is and why it was a big deal when you know last year when a lot of people were talking about it
1: it's it's a huge deal even now because uh, gpt three is the leading technology. Around uh, basically, given a question, give me an answer and write it out. That's basically the the, the form. So it, it it can generate articles, it can generate uh, text, it can generate uh, music, uh, it it can generate images, uh, pretty much. It can generate spreadsheet. It can write code. You can basically given a query, you know, help me solve this. It generates stuff. The What now it's great for short snippets of text. So you see a lot of, there are a lot of startups where they basically take a GPT-3 data source API and they visualize it and they give you some additional, uh, for example, if you want to write subject lines for emails, it can use GPT-3 and generate subject line for emails. It's great for a short text. It doesn't work for long text very well because if you put in a topic like, you know, what types of content strategies someone build. The machine just going to write a bunch of words and it, it doesn't, it doesn't think it's not a human uh, yet. Maybe one day will be, it'll be one in the same, but, but right now it's just basically looking for patterns and kind of trying to predict what people might be interested in, but there's no structure to it. So it's great for short form. It is, does not work for long form and which is, We're one of the technologies that where you can actually take a question and structure it in a very detailed way and generate around it. And so that's kind of the difference. But we use, we don't use GPT-3 in our system. We built our own, but I use GPT-3 just for fun because it's amazing. It can do, can do so many things and give you quick answers to things and, uh, just, Write stories and it's it's, it's awesome. I recommend anybody. You can go to beta. I think beta.openai.com and just sign up for GPT three there and get an API key for free. So I recommend everyone check it out.
0: And, and I was gonna ask you about you know not not using GPT three, but. It's an API, right? GPT three, and mm-hmm. you could sign up, like you said. So, are you? Do you have to code it and access the API? So you're doing some some pretty technical heavy stuff to no. check it out.
1: No, it's easy. I, I've actually I haven't coded anything. I just go. They have a sandbox, and you pick a type of query. So let's say uh, give uh, two sentence horror stories, and it says okay. Like, give me a word or a phrase, and I say okay. I don't know. Uh, living in brooklyn and then it'll write you a two sentence horror story about living in brooklyn on the spot it, it's awesome but yeah there's no coding record. there's some like dials you can fiddle with but you don't have to touch those you just press the button
0: okay i'll have to play with it because i haven't yet in fact obviously with the question i just asked i haven't even looked at what is available out there but i did check out the Market Muse blog, where you compared first draft to GPT three and uh, snazzy AI was the comparison. Uh, Stephen uh, on your content team wrote that, or I don't know his exact role, but Stephen wrote that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So content can you, brand. yeah, can you talk about like the comparison if you happen to remember? I could fill in some gaps. Yeah,
1: but... yeah. Basically, um, we have an article. About glucagon as a non-invasive diabetic treatment, and by the way, I don't know much. I I really I've used it. I've used this example, but uh, unfortunately, I've never actually read up on what glucagon is. I really should now that I'm talking about it. But essentially, we gave GPT-3 that question, and we gave Market Muse the question in terms of first draft, and we measured the resulting output and the quality of what was generated by our engine was multiple orders of magnitude better. In terms of content score, uh, in terms of content comprehensiveness as measured by our content score, uh, the GPT-3 version came out as like a three and ours came out as 40 and ours obviously correlates to ranking and working as you know business writing because that's that's everything that you know everything that we do so essentially uh 3 did generate an answer to the question but it wasn't very good and so you had to take those pieces and edit it and and spend a lot of time adding value to that article to the point where if you're writing long form text, why even do that? It's just better to just write it. <laughs> and and so so it just it just doesn't work for that use case. And and the first draft does, and it's it's pretty well. I, I won't say it works every single time. It's still early technology, but but we have customers generating hundreds of articles a month maybe maybe over thousands now uh using the ai and it actually just in practice works better so it's just a different we took a different approach and it solves this problem more effectively so that's what
0: the articles about. and we'll we'll link up to that if people want to get some of the details but i i think one of the big things and you You kind of laid out this thread for us in the last couple answers. So if someone were to use the brief app to get their outline and know exactly what needed to be in that piece of content for that topic, and then you feed that to first draft, then you end up with a comprehensive piece of content that you want versus if you're using something like snazzy AI. There's maybe a couple templates, and I tested it out because I hadn't used Snazzy before. And I admittedly, I'm pretty sure I set a couple things up wrong, but I looked for uh, some short form content on their text expander, which is what you guys used in in the example in the blog post. Mm -hmm. And the sample, the sample output was terrible. It was, basically taking a sentence or two from from what I could tell and threw in like other people's names and someone was running a webinar and some other stuff. So it completely was off for what I was trying to get. So I may have to see what's going on because I, I imagine it's somewhat useful, uh snazzy that is, but I, I just had very poor results when I tested it out. So no question there. Um, mainly I was saying if you use the brief app and then feed that into first draft, you end up with comprehensive uh, topics and, and you cover the things you need to cover. Yes. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Terrible question as an interviewer, but that is uh, just one no, of bow for people.
1: You, you got it. And the, the, I think the important part of what you just said is everybody should go out and try this stuff. It's not very expensive. It's not very hard. You really don't have to code at all. You have to sign up, Maybe in the case of Market Muse, when you sign up, I believe today we give you a free content credit. You have, to, but our first drafts cost two credits. So you have to buy another credit. I would think in the future, we are going to drop the price and drop the entry point to that. But essentially you just need to, if you're out. A small amount of money, maybe to try it, but but uh, it's really more the the value of your time is the biggest cost. Of course, we're all managing, but but just try a couple of solutions, see what's out there. Maybe there are some public examples, and just play with it because the it's really the the technology is evolving rapidly and the hard part is understanding the use cases like okay that's cool in general but how am i going to use that to solve this particular problem i'm facing and i can tell you if you have a content or an seo problem that or demand gen problem you're trying to solve as long as it's inbound, we have something that can help. Uh, But we, but there are other, you're going to need to use a a number of different solutions cobbled together. So it's just, you just have to kind of be a hacker and kind of play with it and just have fun with it.
0: With first draft, you mentioned and emphasized that you're going to have to go through and it is a first draft and you're going to have to edit it. Where are most of the mistakes? Is it some of the topics that are in there or is it some grammatical things if you could generalize
1: the biggest input or the biggest factor is what topic did you choose? So if I put the word bat, the system has no idea what I'm trying to do, but if I put something like, um, long form content, natural language generation for demand gen in the hospitality industry, that's great. Uh, so it, the more specific, uh, not, not, it's, the solution is not always just to use longer and longer strings, so, uh, queries. So that's just an example, but, but, but you just really want to think through the intent and, and then you want to pick your subheadings because when you go through this process, you, you have the opportunity to pick take that topic and break it down into a number of subheadings h2s so you want to pick your h2 strategically as well and if you do both of those your chances go up of getting a good generation go up quite a bit and if you do those well and the generation doesn't work just contact us and we'll we'll fix it because the, sometimes the machine is just there's modeling error so uh so if you've done all the steps right and the output's not good uh, let us know and we will fix it somehow
0: and if a person were to use briefs, then your subheadings and, and the outline should be pretty tight on what you need to cover, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, okay. that should be so tight that what I would recommend to get the absolute best quality output is you build the brief, you go in, you edit the brief. So you can select and de- uh, unselect the, the questions and the topics and just just really edit it thoroughly And then when you're satisfied, lock it down, save and finish, and then generate the first draft. On top of that, you can skip that step and just put it on topic and go write the first draft and we'll build the brief. But then we're going to generate the draft based on the brief we're given. And the biggest factor is basically the higher quality, the more specific the brief,
0: the better the generation is. How long does it take to run a, a brief and get the output? right now to just get the output
1: 2 3 minutes so you pick a topic it generates some it starts downloading a bunch of content generates some subheading suggestions you lock those in and within a, a couple minutes or maybe 2 3 minutes you you you've got that brief then you edit it i typically tell folks this takes 5 to 20 minutes uh, depending on everything <laughs> depending on how detailed you want to be but you have that editing step you click the button get a first draft right now it's a 12 to 24 hour turnaround i can see a future where it's basically immediate i think a cto would have a cow if i said that because there's a lot of steps involved and we generate and regenerate and we do a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes but but there's no. Technological reason why it shouldn't be really, really, really fast after that point. So you could yeah. have written content within, I don't know, 30 minutes. One day we'll have content within 30 minutes or less. Uh, the the
0: dominoes guarantee, but we don't have that yet. Right okay. now it's 24 hours. <laughs> 24 hours. Okay. And at the moment. What, why does it take so long? As someone who's uninformed, um, hamsters are running in the wheels back there. Like, why, why so long?
1: Yeah, because we're taking those sections, we're taking the inputs from the brief, those hundreds of topics and questions, and and then the underlying articles and the underlying understanding of your site that we use to inform the style and tone. There's a whole bunch of inputs we take. And then we keep generating and regenerating and regenerating content. And we run every generated block through a number of automated tests. And we're looking at similarity. Is it You know, similar but different from the other generations and how interesting is it played, obviously plagiarizing something. So when you Google that text, it should not come up, you know, as a as a block of text, it should be new. I mean, it might coincidentally, but it shouldn't be all over the place that we're not Ripping content off the web, it should be it should be interesting and informative, but not too detailed. And so we're basically running a lot of quality checks, uh, you know, typical NLG quality checks, and and if it fails one of the filters, we throw that block out, and then we generate a new block, and we keep running these processes and and it's not just generating individual blocks uh, in isolation it's actually looking at kind of how are you telling the story using that brief as a guide so we're basically just generating pieces fitting them together and then when we have something that fits together uh, in the whole way then then the process finishes so um so that's the engineering process practically speaking right now most of the time probably your request is waiting in a queue just because of the machines involved to run this stuff and we have some pretty powerful machines that we rent but um and and we have our own models. so kind of like open ai gpt3 we have our own engines and our own models that we train but there's just 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 processing power uh required so as we Build it out better and get some engineering efficiencies. It'll just be less time waiting in a queue to get processed and less faster processing time. That's all. And 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 I would say it's already dropped from a couple of days down to twenty four. And it'll probably drop to twelve. And then, you know, once once you've built something and you're just optimizing the engineering, it tends to get better very very quickly. So I wouldn't be surprised if. At some point soon, it'll take an hour or something, and then, and then it just gets faster and faster.
0: That's a fair answer. I mean, there's a lot of computing power mm-hmm. behind it, so that totally makes sense. As far as some of the configuration that you can set up, can you get it to match the tone of how I normally write, for example, or make it a more casual or business-like piece of content for First Draft?
1: We tried to auto configure those uh, style and tone by, especially if you have a domain. In our system, we will use content from the domain to try to configure that. Right now, you don't have any settings uh, uh, that you can fiddle with. In OpenAI, you do, uh, uh, but they're kind of basic. Uh, there's a temperature setting, which is interesting. Uh, I forgot exactly what that is. It's not. <laughs> it's not what you think. It's uh, so th- there are some things, but but you but not really. So that's r- really at the end of the day it, with the current product the current settings the tone and style are really mostly up to you and the strategy of the article so for example if we're using glucagon and you're talking about non-invasive diabetic treatments if your company sells some treatments but doesn't sell others you just really want to focus on what you actually do you don't want to be just an academic resource and you're not a, a school and you know you're not medical school so your your goal is different uh unless you are but usually you're, you're not right so you really want to just focus on your unique differentiation and and telling that story really comes from your head your brain Uh, you understand your differentiation much better than any machine will ever will so you've got to inject that
0: where do you see the ai trend in some of the things that you're working on and other companies in the industry in general going say in the next one to two years
1: great question a couple of couple of things but i think the biggest is just making this stuff more accessible because let's kind of rewind the tape, and we're all—if we're listening to this—you are absolutely a specialist on a global level of the nine plus billion people. You are one of the few that focuses on this uh, relative few out of out of millions. But um, as am I. But essentially, there. So, if I were to start in, let's say, I were to start a new company. What would I do? I'd want to build a product and 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 all that, but I'd want to build content. Why? Because inbound is much more efficient than outbound. Uh, in most cases, in some cases, you know, if you go to a conference, you meet some people, great. But for the most part, in terms of building a a, a content asset that is a sustainable competitive advantage, content is always almost always a good idea, right? Well. Well, how do you, you know, how do you do that? You're you're going to be at different levels of maturity, and one of my favorite tools on our site is our maturity model. Uh, we haven't made a big thing about it yet, but it's on the site, and everyone should just, if you're listeners, go through and kind of evaluate yourself, and you'll see that. Everybody, by nature, is just at a different level of maturity, different levels of capabilities, and we want to just drop that bar. We wanted to make we want to make it easier and easier and easier to climb that maturity curve, and to get into more and more advanced content and SEO stuff, uh, it, because that's we just believe in the mission of inbound and content just being a, a better, you know, tool. So, or a better approach. So, so I've I've basically. You know, I want to be kind of specific enough to answer your question, but essentially just finding more and more ways to drop the cost, make it easier, make the software simpler, make it easier to configure, easier to understand, make it more powerful, make it faster, but just get it out there more because in 10, 15, 20 years, maybe five years, a lot more people will be AI writing than they are today. And we're just it's just we're we're one of the early leaders in this, but it, it's just going to be a long uh, evolution. So, um, so just making it accessible and easy. That's the very long way of explaining. Just accessible, easy, easy to understand, easy to see the value. That's that's the biggest thing.
0: Have you thought about if? Your underlying engine works so well that it ends up being, you know, one of the most valuable portions of the company. And I don't know if I have a a complete thought with that, but have you thought of it? I mean, it, it is performing really well compared to some of the other technology that we're able to check out at this point.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and we've spent over three years building this thing. So we've been working on this problem for some time with real researchers and engineers and engineering effort applied to it. Uh, So it's a big part of our strategy. Absolutely. The problem we're solving is basically, gosh, I know I want to write all these topics and I could stand to gain so much. But I just don't have the time or the resources to actually get all that content done. Uh, so it's really an execution challenge that our customers have. And that's why we we built it. So it, it's not, is somebody going to go in and just generate 10,000 articles and suddenly they're ranking for everything? That's not, it could happen, I guess. But that's not how, I mean, it would take a pretty concerted effort to, do that although technically it is possible of course but most for the most part it's just going to solve a lot of people's headaches around okay how do i get those like two articles out this week look at my calendar oh my writer's sick like how do i just like get this out and and by the way the automation performs much better when there's human thinking applied to it so the more smart writers and editors and content people and seo analysts and the more people you have looking at it the an agency helping you know the more sophisticated your output will be and the better it will perform so you actually need more humans the i'm just competing against i feel that the I'm just competing against paid and outbound sales, like those like BDRs dialing. Hey, like I think you need Oracle right now. It's so like get out of here. <laughs> if I when I want Oracle, I'm going to read about Oracle, and you'll know because I'll be on your site, you know, getting that white paper. Nothing against Oracle, you know, obviously a huge company, but the, that outbound BDR thing, I think is just going to it's not going to grow. It's not a great place to put dollars, and you can spend a lot of dollars on that. Instead of doing that, and instead of doing just a bunch of
0: PPC, just you have to invest in organic and SEO. It would be crazy not to. And a couple other things, just sort of wrapping it up towards the end here. I know you have an agency program and an affiliate program that are kind of new. Can you give us some background on that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so affiliate is rolling out pretty soon. We're using a platform called Partner Stack to power it. Uh, great, great company as well. And you'll basically be able to sign up. Uh, we're going to be featured in Partner Stack as has a marketplace, so you can go there, or it'll be on our site. You can sign up and generate an affiliate code, and and just drive referrals that way, and manage the codes and the payments, and it'll just be simple. So that should be rolling out. It's easy for me to give estimates because I'm I, I'm not the one actually implementing it, but within a few weeks, I think. Right now it's March, so in March. March 2021 affiliate program coming at some point. Uh, So that'll be really cool. And then the agency program, we we don't have this on our site in detail yet, but one day we will. Uh, Essentially, because the highest level of market news is the domain analysis, where that decision support system, agencies love using that. But Today, you would have to buy a separate license for every domain, and and we have an agency pricing model where you don't have to do that, where, where, but it's not implemented yet. So essentially, when it's an agency, if you want to look at even just one domain, your own or somebody else's, but if you want to look at all your clients, if you want to look at prospects of so sites where you want to pitch a site, you can actually analyze and get a, get a AI topical content audit in MarketMuse. And we have a way of making that so you don't have to buy a license every single time you want to do that. Um, and then eventually, we don't have the ability to manage multiple domains in the system right now. You can't you can set them up, but eventually, we'll, we want to have the functionality so you can set up domains, do a quick little audit, get some insights, pitch that client, sell the deal, pass the, you know, pass the market news cost through to them, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those are
0: just things we're working on. Awesome. Yeah. Tons of stuff going on over there. Where can people find you, Aki?
1: Oh, I'm just Aki at marketmuse.com is my email. Aki Bolog, Twitter handle. I'm on LinkedIn, Aki, B-A-L-O-G-H. It's my last name, Bolog. Uh, just, yeah, any of those work and uh and if and and i'm also sometimes i'm on drift you can ask for me if you go to our site go to drift hey can i talk to aki here's my question just let me know what the question is and then someone will
0: uh, route it to me somehow awesome well i'll put links for everything and thanks so much for spending so much time with me today oh it's an absolute
1: pleasure thanks everyone for listening this is uh it's been seven eight years but you know It's just, we're just part of the way there. So there's a lot more to come.
0: Thanks again to Aki Belog and Market Muse. He took a big chunk of his day out to speak with me, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I am hopeful I'm going to be able to invite Aki and Jeff, the two co-founders of Market Muse, to join me sometime very soon on a YouTube live stream. So if you're not subscribed to my channel, you should follow the link in the description here, and you'll be able to be aware whenever they do join me. Fingers crossed. I think I could convince them. We had a good time. And of course, thanks to the sponsor, ODYS. Again, if you are listening to this near the publication date in March of 2021, they are hooking up all the accounts with a bonus of 500 bucks, which is very cool, very uh, generous. I'm not sure how the math works on that, but they're doing it. So if you haven't signed up, you can follow the link in the description, and you'll be able to uh, take advantage of that March promo. So very cool, and thanks to ODYS. And the fact is, hey, if you're not even going to uh, you know buy a domain in the near term, hop over there, shoot them a message, just let them know that you appreciate the sponsorship of this show. It helps me uh, bring you two episodes per week, and uh, thanks again to uh, you, fine listener out there, and to ODYS. It's a long episode today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back out and we'll catch you on the next one.